This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Welcome to Redemption Church Alhambra. We are one of 10 congregations that meet across the valley um, every week together to worship together, to study scripture together, to live life together. It's so important for us to remember that because it's important for us to remember that we're part of something much bigger than ourselves. And we have a God that cares about the city, um, that cares about all facets of this city, not just the suburbs, not just the inner city, not just Alhambra, not just uh, Arcadia, but he cares about the full of this city. He cares about the whole of this state and the world. And it's such an honor to be a part of Redemption Church, where the gospel is taught. One of our primary uh, forms of discipleship at Redemption Church is our redemption communities. And um, we announced last week that we're starting back into our community groups. It's where we get together each week and live life together, live as family, on mission, as servants to our community And so I encourage every one of you, if you're not a part of a community group, please, you can talk to me afterwards. If our our community group leaders that are here, you could stand up right now. Um, We announced this last week, but this week we get back into full swing. So you can see all my, most of my front row crew here, and then we got a few scattered back here. But talk to any one of these folks, and they can help uh, get you plugged in. You guys can have a seat. If You also can grab this card, and you can see that we have them meeting all over the valley from 16th Street all the way out to Buckeye. We've got groups, and if you uh, want, you can contact me. My email address is on here, or on the website, under ministries, under redemption communities. There's a lot of layers there that you've got to dig through and find, but if you're if you're prudent, you can dig your way into the website and find Redemption Communities, and you can see kind of a general area of where those community gr- groups meet at, then just email the leaders, and you can directly email them from there. Um, that's it for announcements today. It is such an honor to stand here um, and share the pulpit with uh, guys that I deeply love and respect And because I don't do this very often, um, you definitely get the least of these this morning. But I want to just say it is my privilege big time for me to stand here and to hear every week and to be taught by um, our pastors and also to participate in the discussions of direction and vision for our church. And so thank you. Uh, for allowing me the opportunity to share with you guys this morning. This summer, uh, we've been reflecting and meditating on some of the Psalms together. It's been intentionally less about teaching and more about listening and being shaped by these prayers and poems and songs uh, that are really just artistic expressions of rejoicing and praise and anguish and hope and longing and celebration and reflection. I've been so encouraged and challenged 
getting to hear these texts expounded on, and then how through the meditations and prayers at the end of each service that we get to hear, we've been able to hear how these have shaped our prayers and been made, made alive in us. It's been a gift to hear these different psalms shape our suffering, to shape our mourning and our affections. It's really been a time for us to be corporately discipled. We use John Frame's definition of theology that says, theology is the application of God's word to all areas of life. We use that a lot around here. Because we believe the Bible is not just something to be studied, but it is meant to be applied. It's meant to shape us. So hearing how these texts have been shaping people in our local congregation has been a gift. And I want to personally extend a thanks to everybody who spent time to meditate on these scriptures uh, for months and then to share your prayers and your thoughts because it's, it's really ministered to me to see the word of God not just heard but applied in your prayers, your praise, your worship, your affections. So as we were talking about how uh, we were going to approach Psalms 119, we thought about trying to cover it all in one week, but as we, as we began preparing, we felt like trying to squeeze such a huge text into one week and to only hear it from one perspective would, would, wouldn't be fair to the text. Not only because it's the longest chapter in the Bible, but because of the breadth of ideas covered and the fact that there's no author listed. We wanted to reinforce the idea that Scripture is meant to inform and shape all areas of life. We want to reinforce that idea that our emotions, our actions, our thoughts for every person at all stages of life are meant to be shaped by the Word of God. So we decided to take a couple of weeks to celebrate and meditate on Psalms 119. There's so much meat in this text. There's so much meat in this text that we could spend time wrestling with. Things that deal with individual situations and actions. And I challenge you to really go back and dive into those things. But today what I want to do is extract three big ideas that really stood out to me as I was meditating on the theme and the text as a whole. So first, we're going to look at the author's artistry and passion by getting some context. And then we're going to look at how what we believe about the character of God determines our hope and dependency on Scripture. And then how we are meant to engage with the scriptures. 
first of all, before I even started reading this text, uh, the thing that jumped out to me was the sheer artistry of this text and the deep passion it shows for God's word. Psalms 119 is an acrostic poem divided into 22 stanzas. Now, some of you jump, you're trying to jump back to, to high school English to remember what an acrostic poem is. But it's a, it was broken down and in some of your Bibles, um, and if you need a Bible, you can lift your hand up. We've got some fabulous gentlemen handing those out. If you want to keep one, you can. If you don't have a Bible, um, if you just need to borrow that, you can leave it on the seat. We'll collect it afterwards. But when you're looking at that, you might see uh, little headers. And each of those headers represents one of the characters of the Hebrew alphabet. And so each of these headers have only eight verses underneath that, right? So uh, imagine it in the English alphabet, it would be like A. And then there's eight verses under that. And every one of those sections... Every one of those stanzas starts with that letter of the alphabet for all eight of those verses. And then nearly every verse highlights a different attribute of the Word of God. In almost every verse, you'll find the Word mentioned. Whether it's law, testimonies, precepts, commands, statutes, rules, promises. So just starting with that understanding convicted me big time. It changed the way that, that I approached the scripture as I approached listening to what the author had to say. It's a big poem. This was his obsession I want you to think about that for a second. This was, the word of God was his obsession. If I stood up here and told you that I've written a 26 stanza, using the English alphabet, a 26 stanza poem about how my wife has shaped my life. And I not just as a big, not just as a big love letter, right? I'm talking about systematically going through the alphabet and making sure, how has Christy changed me starting with the letter A? <laughs> Some of you would be like, that is super romantic. By the way, I haven't done that yet, but it's given me a good idea. Some of you would say, romantic, and many of you would say stalker, <laughs> right? Think about that. This was his obsession. But that's the underlying intensity that we should be bringing to this poem. So let's stand together and read just the first two stanzas. We're going to read these things, and we stand when we read the Word of God because it reminds us that these are not my words, these are God's words. Blessed are those 
whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. You may be seated. In reading this, you get a small glimpse into the depth and passion the writer has. It gives us a framework and presents a broad, uh, in broad terms the theme of this poem. If you were to keep reading, he then begins to present circumstances, situations, internal struggles, Conflicting stories and emotions. That contrast what he believes and knows to be truth in light of the realities of a fallen and broken world. He lays out, this is what I see. This is what I'm feeling. This is what your word says. This is how it shapes me over and over and over and over again. This passion has been messing with me for the last several months. The obsession is convicting and it raises a question that I'm thankful I believe gets answered in this text. How do I find and feed that passion and hope in me? How do I feed the passion so that I find so much delight and joy in the Word of God that it births a genuine, a genuine affection for it? And that brings me to the second thing that I want to pull out. Hope in what God says is directly tied to your belief in who God is. Words... Promises, commandments, and rules are only as valuable to us as the character 
of the person speaking them. There's a lot of examples of this that we could pull from daily life. Work. If the systems and rules that your work has in place are benefiting you, and you trust the people that are making those rules and systems, then you take delight in following those rules and systems. Right? I remember working in a call center for middle management, and middle management cannot reward you. Right? They don't have the means to offer a reward, so the only way they can motivate you is manipulation and fear, right? Show up, if you don't clock in within seven minutes of the hour, then I'm going to give you a point. <laughs> and we have mandatory overtime, which is not your scheduled day, but if you don't show up, I'm going to give you two points. And if you get to five points, I'm going to fire you, right? Fear and manipulation coming from the management level to control. If we don't trust the character of the people that are above us and we don't appreciate the systems, then it just grates at us. Family. If a father makes a promise again and again and continues to go back on his word, the children are going to stop believing what the Father says. Right? It's only as good as His character is. And because it's relevant right now, government, don't raise your hand on this. Every one of us in this room, I don't even have to ask, can think of systems and policies and rules that we wish were reformed. Because we don't trust the leadership. Our value and hope in Scripture hinges on our belief in who God is, His character. If we want to do anything to excite our passion for Jesus, expand your view of God and His character. Know His goodness. Know His power. Know His compassion. Know deeply His grace. Yes. In doing that, you will grow in your passion for His Word. His Word will become your delight. His promises your hope. Have you ever learned something new about someone and it gives you a deeper appreciation for that person? Maybe somebody you just met. Or you learn something new about somebody you already love and it just affirms and grows your affections. Right. I remember when my uncle passed away and my aunt started going through all of his stuff. She started finding all of these awards from when he was in the, the military, all these medals, like, um, like important ones, you know, not just like, oh, I shot the target right, but like, 
valor awards and medals and how much we as a family grew in our affection for our uncle. It wasn't like we didn't love our uncle and then it was like, oh, he was awesome, right? It was like all of the uncovering of that only raised our sense of love and affection for him. The word is validated again and again by the character of God. Obedience and duty become the light and comfort. You can see this over and over again in Psalms 119, in verses like 47, where he says, I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. And 50, this is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. Or in 76 and 77, let your steadfast love comfort me, his character, according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. Do we delight in the law and commandment and rules of God? This has become a dirty thought to us. We declare the grace of God and we avoid words like rules, commandments, statues, and laws because we view them as oppressive. And we forget the character of the person who spoke them. The depth and layers of overlapping tension is incredible. And this brings me to my third thought. The word of God is meant to shape and challenge us. The writer shares all kinds of phrases of life, all, all kinds of phases of life. He shares joys and struggles. He mentions youth in verse 9, 99, 100. Oppression in 50 and 134. Opposition in verse 23. And this, these are not comprehensive. I'm just trying to highlight the fact that I looked at this. Persecution in 150, 157, and 161. And then he reacts based on the word of God and ultimately the character of God. He says, essentially, this is what I see and this is what I'm facing. But because of who you are and because of your promises, because of what your word says, this is how I will respond. Or this is how I am responding. There is rejoicing and there is questioning. 81 and 88. There is confidence and there is weeping. 136 and 145, there's dependency and there's stability. What really stands out to me 
is that the vast scope of emotions, confidence, and questioning are never addressed as wrong or wicked or sinful. They were only called to submit to Scripture. The writer says, this is where I am, and this is how Scripture, my hope in the gospel, and the unfulfilled promises of Scripture inform my response. Think about that. Think about that. This surfaced two personal struggles in my approach to Scripture as I was thinking on this. I want other people to feel the same way that I do. I'm not content when other people are just subjecting what they're learning or feeling at any given moment to the authority of Scripture. I want them to have the same emotion that I have. When tragedy strikes, when injustice takes place that we can see all around the world in the last several years, especially as it's been highlighted, when these things take place, some people respond in anger. Some, pre- some person might respond with, with questioning. Some person might respond with weeping. This, and then, and I see these things on Facebook, right? You see at people's responses. They put them out there. Anger, weeping, frustration, and questioning. And we judge their response instead of whether or not they're subjecting their emotion to the authority of Scripture. Well, they shouldn't be angry right now. They should be weeping right now. Well, they shouldn't be weeping right now. They should be questioning right now. The writer doesn't question the emotions. He questions whether his emotions are being lorded over by the authority of Scripture. Psalms 119 doesn't call you to a singular emotion. It doesn't call you to a singular emotional response in all circumstances of life. It calls us to subject each of those emotions to the authority of Scripture. This brings up another thing that I wrestle with. The other thing that I tend to do is when I'm studying the Bible... I study it the same way that I look at social media or process news. And Brian um, talked about this last week, and he did a fantastic job. I sit there and I hunt for and heart and like the things that validate my views rather than letting Scripture challenge and shape my heart and likes. Let God's word form you. Uh Uh 
I started talking to Kyle about this, and he shared this thought that just hit me so hard. He said, if the Bible never challenges the way you think or your ideas or your beliefs, you're probably worshiping yourself and using Scripture to validate your idols. We have a bent to like and worship the things that benefit us. So we love when we can validate what is comfortable to us with Scripture. Even if it has a negative impact on the people around us. We do this with social issues. We do this with our money. We do this with our liberties. And again, because it's relevant right now, we do it with our politics. You got to hear this closely, and I'm going to read it directly. Stop using Scripture as your weapon to prove why voting for Trump or Hillary or any other political party is a righteous response when the reason you are voting for that person or party is because you believe it will make your life better. (laughs) Our bent is to validate our comforts and our fearful responses. We want to validate our fear. Fear not. And we want to validate our fears with Scripture. And then we get upset because not everyone worships my views. This is painful. This is painful. Because I know y'all have seen somebody who posted a never Trump and you got mad and posted right back, never Hillary. (laughs) And it's somebody that you couldn't believe it. Well, if they were godly, they would be voting the right way right now. I can't believe it. We call into question the righteousness of people because they're voting based off of what their conscience is, maybe based off of what they think will move the government in the right direction. But then we try to use Scripture to validate that as righteousness. Stop it. Participate. Vote. Do it. But don't validate yourself. Be informed by Scripture. Make decisions based off of the Word of God, but don't validate wickedness with the Word of God. (laughs) Today, uh, my prayer is that our affections are stirred for the Word of God because of a fresh revelation of His character. That our obedience becomes delight and a response of loving affection. And that we would stop using scripture to validate our idols.
that we would allow the word of God to shape and inform our hearts, our thoughts, our emotions, our responses, and our actions. And that we don't just take these themes into our meditations of Psalms 119, but that it births a passion for Scripture based on who God is. This is not just Psalms 119. I thought what, what Emily spoke last week, reminding us, 1 John, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. When we're celebrating the Word of God, we are celebrating Jesus himself. So as the band comes out and we get ready to meditate and allow Scripture to shape us, I want to remind you of the character of God. I want to be reminded of His character, right? Because as Tim Keller puts it so beautifully, It wasn't the prodigal son or sons. It was the prodigal God that lavished so much on his children, undeservedly, wasteful, right? That's what prodigal means. It's like just giving, giving, giving. This is the character of God. And we have the propensity, big word, we have the, (laughs) the, I don't even know if I used that word right. Was that right? Okay, propensity. I'm going to stick with that. Kyle applauded. It's hard to get Kyle to applaud. That's good. We have the bent towards being like the older son who looks at God's rules and laws and commandments and precepts and say they're oppressive and I can't wait till you die so I get my reward. And then we swing to this other extreme of the younger son who comes back after being rebellious and wicked. Falls at the feet of his father and says, can I just be your servant and live in the servant quarters? And that father stands up his son and he puts a robe on him. And he puts a ring on him, his signet ring on him, his family signet ring back onto him, and sandals on his feet to represent freedom. And he says, you're my son. You're not my servant. You're not my slave. I did not die for a bunch of slaves. I died for my children. That is the character of the God of the Bible. That is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. 
Do we have broken views of God that we need to repent of? You are not an oppressive God. You are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. You forgave me at my lowest point. Even though I didn't deserve it, you made me your child. I am twice yours. You created me and you bought me back. Your laws are my delight. Your commandments are my delight. They're my joy. I praise you because they're just and they are righteous. Your promises sustain me. In the hardest times of my life. Your promises are my hope. You are coming back, Jesus. To make all things right. You're going to redeem all things. That's the promise. That's the promise, the hope we have. Thank you, Jesus, for the promise of your Son. That you sent your Holy Spirit as an earnest deposit. Do you know what that means? We still do earnest deposits. When you say, I'm going to buy a house, you lay down a deposit. And you say, this is my deposit to show that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy it. So put it under contract. In this covenant, He gave His Son and He gave His Holy Spirit to indwell in us as a promise to His return, that He's coming back to make all things right. This is not an empty hope. This is the character of the God of the Bible. Jesus, as we prepare to call and respond, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And God, as we prepare to take communion together, would we be reminded of your body and your blood that brought us in as joint heirs with Jesus, adopted by choice and legally. Jesus, Remind us and allow that revelation to not be the end, but the starting point for a passion for your word. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.